0: Home and Garden Radio Podcast, number nine. Number nine. I like that. It's like one of my favorite numbers. Anyway, Home and Garden Radio Podcast is the recorded version of our live Saturday morning show that's heard on the BizTalk Radio Network. Please enjoy.
1: It's time to talk gardening and all things botanical. You're tuned to the Home and Garden Show with Michael Kroos. Hello, neighbor. Michael is a fun-loving family man who knows all there is to know about plants. (laughs) I'm a genius. He'll talk about outdoor plants, indoor plants, pest control, water gardening, pruning, grow lights, fertilizer, you name it. We're on in 10 seconds, so get ready to have a good time. Call Michael now, toll free. This is exciting, isn't it? And now, here's Michael Kroos.
0: And welcome to this edition of Home and Garden Radio. want to thank you so much for joining us. Hope you're having a good week. I was gone last week. Did you notice? I wasn't here. I was down in Palm Beach. As a matter of fact, I only planned to be down there for a few days. I was down there for eight days. And uh, now I'm back, and I'm still trying to do catch-up. I haven't updated the website. I haven't done anything. Hopefully, by the time you hear the show, the website will be updated. Uh, You know, everything will be updated. I've just been, since I was gone for eight days, I was swamped when I came back. My yard is eight inches tall. I need to get out and mow it. There's just so much that needs to be done, and I haven't had time to get any of it done. And I'm, I'm distressed about that. But I have to tell you, I like Palm Beach County. I like West Palm Beach, I like Palm Beach, I like Palm Beach Gardens, I love Palm Beach Gardens, Uh, Juneau, all of those areas. I just like that whole area. It's a little smaller as far as a media market than the Tampa Bay market that I live in now. And that's very noticeable by the television commercials. Okay, When you're down there and you're watching television, you see the really cute and interesting television commercials that you don't see in a major market here like there's these appliance repair people and at the end of it they sing it's it's just weird but fun I I enjoy that part and here's the best part of South Florida you know we talk about growing zones in the United States you know you have all of the different zones well Florida actually has three zones and I happen to live in the second zone these are all unofficial by the way I live in the middle second zone of Florida, and then there's the lower zone of Florida. And there are plants that will not grow here that will grow south of here, such as sea grape, such as um, coconut palms, things like that do not grow here, but they grow well in South Florida. And I enjoy spending time in South Florida and seeing all of the lush tropical foliage That We don't enjoy here. This is kind of cool. I like that. So, you know, I and I enjoy myself down there. I, you know, I, I do. I wasn't this was not a pleasure trip. I someone down there was ill, who I'm very close to. So I was down there for eight days taking care of this person, putting this person in the hospital, getting everything better. Now everything is fine. And everything is good. And I am back home. So and this time I drove. When I go down to uh, Palm Beach, you know, area, I usually take the train. I love taking the train down there. Uh, you know, I, it is it is a three-and-a-half-hour train ride. It is a four-hour drive. But on the train, you don't have to drive. You can read. You can relax. You can get up and go to the, you know, the dining car and hang out and all of that. It's just, it's really cool. And you don't have to think, you, when you get... When you get off, you know, when you get off the train, you feel refreshed, you feel wonderful, everything is great, and, and it's nice. I like that. Whereas when you drive down there, man, I drove down there, and I left late in the day, so I had to go through Tampa traffic, and oh, it was terrible. But, uh, you know, and then, you know, you get down there, and you get out of the car, and you're just... I feel like yawning now because you're just exhausted. You are just absolutely exhausted. And I drove down there in a driving rainstorm, which is also interesting. It rained almost the entire way there, which, you know, driving back, no rain at all. Thank goodness. But uh, driving there entire, you know, just driving rain the whole way. And anybody who's ever made that trip where you go, uh, across State Road 60, which it gets two-laned for several miles. And uh, you come to a wonderful town in Florida, which I would recommend that everyone visit. It's called Yeehaw Junction. That's right. There is a town in Florida called Yeehaw Junction. And um, not much there. Not much there at all, as a matter of fact. But it's it's there, and it's nice, and that's where you get on the Florida Turnpike and head south and then once you're on a turnpike head south you seem to get i think it's like 78 miles to uh the west palm beach exits and you can get off and there you are everything is wonderful anyway enough about that um uh, you know i you know what i need to do this week and i'm and i really don't want to deal with it but i've got to deal with it this week i got to deal with my trees now i was going to put pictures on the website about the giant branch that fell down in the front yard. I've got the pictures. Again, I wasn't able to put them on the website because I had to leave town. But uh, I have two trees next to the house that need to come down. And this week coming on, I've got to get estimates on removing those trees. Now, I got estimates removing those trees eight years ago. And it was just too expensive then. And I probably should have had it done then. Because I bet it's going to be a lot more expensive now. Uh, you know, I think then to remove, there's actually three trees. One's a smaller tree, but two large trees. And it was like $4,000 bucks 8 years ago to get those all out of there. Well, the trees are just, you know, trees next to a house are never good. They're like clowns. They're never good. If you have a tree next to your house, it's only going to cause you problems. I was watching the news when I was down in Palm Beach, and there was this beautiful house down there. And this giant oak tree, giant branch fell off the oak tree, just like here, just like at my house. But I was lucky. It landed in the front yard. This guy, not so lucky, landed on top of his bedroom. By the way, just missed my bedroom. But it landed on top of his bedroom. It went right. He wasn't in there, thank God. Uh, went right through the ceiling, branches down in his bedroom, is all over the news there. Yeah. And, yeah, you know, trees next to houses, bad. I've decided, you know, I'm never going to be a lover of trees. My good friend, Stan DeFreitas, who comes on the show once in a while, is a certified arborist. He loves trees. I hate trees. I decided the trees are for the forest, not for your yard. I, you know, I never want another tree. I've got in my front yard, I've got five oak trees, and every one of them should come out. I can't take two of them out because they belong to the city because they're in the area between the sidewalk and the street. But the ones up by my house, I just want to get rid of. And never will I ever plant another tree in a residential situation. I'm just not going to do that. And the old house, the guy that owned the house just before me planted an oak tree in the front yard. And you know what? That tree is humongous now. And bless his heart, he did it correctly. He planted it out near the road. So it does not overhang the house. But here's what it does overhang. As I take a drink of my of my green tea, which is terrible. Man, I'm drinking this green tea. And it is awful. Ugh, why do people do this? Why? Do, ugh, it's supposed to help. Um, Just awful. Got it from Truman. Bad stuff. Ooh, I need some water uh, to wash, wash that down. I'm not going to drink any more green tea. I promise. I think I'd rather have Diet Coke. Where are we at? Oh, what was I saying? I forgot what I was saying. I have totally forgot what I was saying. The green tea just totally stressed me out. And I don't even remember what I was saying. So I'll try and move on. Then I'm going to hate myself when I listen to this later and realize what I was saying. And it was important to get back to. But we do what we do is, is all I can say. Oh yeah, the tree uh, in my old ha- the old house it is not overhanging the house. That's a good thing. What it's overhanging, which is a bad thing by the way, is the neighbors' cars. Yeah, the neighbors' cars and the lovely ex-mrs. Crows, who now owns that house, has to deal with that. She has to hire people to come out and trim the bushes, and her next-door neighbors hate it because the droppings fall down on their cars and. And everything. So, you know, I'm just done with trees. Trees are bad. Trees are just. I'm not a. I'm not a tree lover. Uh, and uh, you know, you've heard the old saying: When's the best time to plant a tree? 20 years ago. uh The second best time to plant a tree is now. Yeah, it's great to plant a tree now, as long as you plant it out in the woods and not on your property, near your house or near your cars, because eventually the darn thing's going to fall over or branches are going to fall off of it and you're going to spend all this money maintaining it and it's going to disappoint you you're going to be unhappy and you know my mom or I yeah my mom made this terrible mistake many years ago at her house in Dunedin some guy came through was planting trees and he knocked on her door Mrs. Kroos, I would like to plant a tree in your yard. It will only cost you X number of dollars. I forget what it was. He, stu- he goes. He recommended that she plant a tree right at her lot line between the ho- her house and Dot's house, which was next door. Dot thought it was a wonderful idea. My mother thought it was a wonderful idea. They planted this oak tree. Oh, my gosh. My mother, as soon as that tree started growing, it takes three years for a tree to start growing once it takes off tell you what, I'll tell you more about this on the other side. We will continue right here.
1: Have a gardening question? Well, this is the Home and Garden Show. Now, back to Michael.
0: right here on Home garden radio hope you're having a great day once again we continue with cool gardening stuff man i just love cool gardening stuff how does it get any better than that i don't know uh, that's that's all i have to say is how does it get any better than that but anyway uh what was i saying? oh i was telling you about when my mom the guy came knocked on the door wanted to plant a tree between her house and her next door neighbor dot and you know she said, yeah, I think she paid like 150 bucks. This guy comes, digs a hole, sticks a tree in the ground. Three years later, the tree takes off. And by the way, this is a rule of thumb. When you plant a tree, when, and I'm hoping that you don't, uh, unless you're going to plant it very far away from the house. But when you plant a tree, I'm becoming the anti-tree gardening guy. That's what I'm, I'm becoming. I am Mr. Anti-Tree. Maybe we'll change the name of the show to the Home and Garden Anti-Tree Show. That's it. I don't know. But anyway, when you plant a tree, it sits there for three years and then it takes off. And there's a lot of reasons for this because the thing when you plant a tree, the roots have to establish. And most of the roots that have to establish that really make a tree grow very, very well are the finite feeder roots, which actually work their way up to the top six inches of the soil and as soon as that happens and all of the natural nutrients start working their way into the soil, then the tree takes off and everything is wonderful and it just grows like crazy. Well, that's what happened with mom. She planted a tree right between her and Dot's house and three years later, it just took off. And I mean, it grew and 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 what she didn't realize that what was happening there is where the guy planted the tree was approximately three feet away from her sewer line. So that was problem number one, because the roots started going into the sewer line. And in those days, the sewer lines were made out of cast iron and cast iron sewer lines in Florida. I guess it's that way everywhere have a finite you know or not, not a finite lifespan. They, they are going to live so long and then they're not going to exist well after that. So one of the things that she f- kept having to do was she kept having to uh, she kept having to have the sewer lines, you know, the roto rooter guy come over and uh, do the sewer lines. And you know that became a problem. Uh, and it it was very expensive because it was like 350 bucks for the guy to run the thing through and thing that down. Well, we, you know, I came over, we figured out that the problem was the tree. I said, mom, you got to get rid of the tree. So she calls the city and she, you know, cause she found out, well, she actually called a tree guy to come out and remove the tree. Tree guy says, got to get a permit. And the city that she lived in was real sticky about that. So the city sent somebody out there and I wasn't there when that guy came. he said, oh, no, that tree's healthy. That tree's staying. It's not going anywhere. And I'm going to tell you, droppings were coming off of that tree, getting all over my mom's roof and Dot's roof. And Dot was then mad at my mom because she planted the tree, even though Dot wanted her to plant the tree. You see, trees tear people apart. Trees ruin relationships, not to mention roofs and front yards. So this tree is just being absolutely awful to my mom. It was just absolutely terrible. Okay. So uh, that's what, you know, that was just a terrible, terrible thing. Well, life went on and death went on. Dot passed away. Tree's still there. My mom passed away. Tree's still there. My brother bought the house. Tree was still there. My brother said, That tree's got to go. Now, there was a tree out in the front circle of my mother's house that was also planted at the same time, but it was away from the house, but it had grown also to be quite large. Well, my brother said the tree in front's got to go because it was just dropping stuff all over the driveway and all over the cars. And, you know, there was a circular drive out there, the grass underneath wouldn't grow. I mean, it was just a mess. So he calls up the city and he said, I want to get rid of this tree. I want to get rid of both these trees. Guy from the city said, those trees are in perfect shape. You don't have to do that. I don't know what happened, but mysteriously, should I even be talking about this on the radio? I don't know. Mysteriously, the tree in the front yard started to decline, okay? Now, why did the tree in front yard start to decline? Well, because some large, large pest, I think it was a Black & Decker drill, uh, bored into it and the sap started running out of it and the tree started to decline and my brother got a permit to, I am He. I don't know who drilled holes, I think it was a, I don't know, uh, my brother got a permit to take the tree down. And when my brother got the permit to take that tree down, guess what he did? He took down both trees. Nobody noticed. He got away with it. And that was just the, you know, that was great. It was the end of the story and life was good. So trees near houses are bad. Trees near houses are very, very bad. Remember that. That is something that I try to live by every day. Now, if you have trees, which we do, you have to take care of these trees. Now, you know, I want to get rid of these trees. By the way, my son, Zach, who is producing the show, he's on the other side of the double bulletproof glass again this week. Um, my son wants us to hire a tree service that he saw about five years ago in the neighborhood. The name of the tree service was El Chipo Tree Service. As a matter of fact, Zach thought that was just like the coolest name for a tree service that he went out and had me take a picture of him in front of the El Chipo Tree Service truck. Which he became very proud of. So that's one of the people we will call when we get prices to have our trees removed is El Cheapo. Because, gosh, they might be cheap. I don't know. They did good work. I saw them take down some other trees. So that, that part was good. But if you're going to have trees, you need to take care of them. And this is the time of year as we are now getting towards the end of spring and heading towards summer. If you haven't done it, you need to fertilize your trees. But you're saying, but Michael, how do you fertilize trees? That's another question that's asked. Uh, and one of those questions are deep root fertilization. Is that a good idea? That's where you go out and you drill holes in the drip line area all around the tree. And by the way, years ago, I used to make a lot of money doing this. That was the way that you did it many, many years ago. I had this big auger. It would drill holes down and you'd put fertilizer in the holes and cover them. You charge people a lot of money. And then it got to where it was really hard to run that auger through the roots. So we got a high pressured hose and we went in a, in a steel rod and we would just shoot water down there and run that down about 18 inches and then pull it out and you know go all the way around the tree and do that and then we would fill it all up with fertilizer and cover it up and we used to make a lot of money and it just seemed to make a lot of sense. Well, don't do that because it was right after that that Texas A&M University came out with this wonderful research study. And it was the first really intense research study that was done on trees in over 100 years. But they determined, and other people have determined this too, but Texas A&M really came out with it and really came out with a really good raw data that the top uh, six inches of soil in the drip line area, in the drip line area is the farthest branch out on in, is where the feeder roots existed. So drilling a hole, you're actually, in, you know, down below that, you're putting the fertilizer out of the reach Of the tree. So, you don't want to do that. So, how do you fertilize a tree? I will tell you how to fertilize a tree when we continue right here on Home and Garden Radio.
1: You can contact Michael at homeandgardenradio.com. That's homeandgardenradio.com. Question: Well, this is the Home and Garden Show. Now, back to Michael.
0: And we continue once again. What was it I was going to start this off with now? Oh, fertilizing. How do we fertilize trees? I told you about the deep root fertilization, how it's not really an effective way to fertilize because you're going down below the feeder roots, which are at the top six inches of the soil. So what do we want to do now? we want to actually do what we call top dress. In other words, we want to spread the fertilizer in the area where most of the feeder roots are in. This is new information. Most of the feeder roots are at the end of the drop line and then back in approximately 30% towards the trunk. Never put fertilizer next to the trunk. It is a waste of time and there's a good chance you can burn the trunk. So you want to go out to the farthest branch and you want to start the fertilizer there and you want to go back towards the tree by 25 to 30%. And then you want to go out past the uh, feeder roots, or I'm mean, sorry, past the drip line, past that farthest branch by about four feet. So I, when I fertilize trees, I use either a push spreader if it's a big tree or one of those Scott's hand fertilizers. And that way I can make a, you know, a good, you know, I can make a good, you know... Yeah, we're on segment three. I had to tell Zach on the other side of the double pull-up roof glass. He's producer extraordinaire. Learning the ropes, but he's doing a great job. But anyhow, what was I saying? I forget what I was saying, but I'll start saying it again. Uh, you want to put that 30% back towards the trunk and another four or five feet, uh, depending upon how big the tree is past the drip line because there are feeder roots that extend out there and you really want to push those feeder roots a little further out so that the tree will grow more and it will expand more and get more, you know, branches out so you have more shade and if it's like next to your house then the branches will go over your house and fall down on your house faster. I'm sorry. I'm 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 so anti-tree right now, but I'm telling you how to grow trees because trees are a wonderful thing in the forest and far away from your house. They truly are. So you do that. What is the other thing that you want to do to your tree in the spring? And in many parts of the country, it's too late to do this. Okay. And if the tree is near your house, you don't want to do this anyway. But one of the things I notice, especially with oaks, is oaks will get a disease called oak leaf blister, which doesn't hurt the tree, but it doesn't look pretty. Your oaks do not look as nice. And there's a lot of other things. But if you spray on your tree, a, uh, a, a copper, a wettable copper on your trees. And by the way, I think Ortho has this tree sprayer, a hose attachment tree sprayer. I have one around here someplace. It will, with a regular hose, it will shoot up in the air 25, 30 feet. But if you want to spray your tree in the spring, the week that it starts to leaf out, as soon as those buds start to really pop out, if you spray that with neutral copper right then and there, your tree is going to look beautiful the rest of the year. You have no idea. You're fertilizing the tree, and then you're going to spray the foliage with neutral copper. Now, if the tree is next to the house, next to your car, next to a wooden fence, you don't want to do this because the neutral copper will stain your house, your fence, your car. But if it's out away from everything, that neutral copper trick works wonderfully and i highly advise you to try doing that i think you will be very happy with the results of of doing just that so look at that and you know might be something you might want to think about doing other than that you know pruning out all the dead wood is a very nice thing to do i like to do that in the fall but if you haven't done it now is the time to do it because once the tree starts growing, if there's dead wood in there, that dead wood is gonna push down and it's gonna fall down and it's gonna land on your car. And it's gonna be like that insurance ad where the tree branch comes down and crushes the car. Trees are evil. Um, so if you have dead wood, you really wanna cut that out now. And you're probably gonna to wanna to have a certified arborist do it, be, you know, and one that is licensed and insured, especially the insured part, because terribly bad things can happen if they mess up. Uh, and they don't have insurance. Guess whose insurance they use? They use your homeowner's insurance. And, you know, once again, bad things happen. So we don't want bad things to happen. We want good things to happen because that's just kind of people we are. So those are the things to do to your trees. Now, whilst we're fertilizing the tree, and by the way, the question is, what do I fertilize trees with? If I can get my hands on it, I fertilize oaks and all of the green trees with a good 10-10-10 or an 8-8-8 fertilizer. And follow the label directions as to how much fertilizer you use and all it has to do with the width of the, of the trunk. And uh, just follow that and do that. I only fertilize my trees once a year. My good friend Stan Defrides likes to fertilize his trees in the spring and he likes to fertilize them in the fall. I, that probably works just well. I only do it in the spring. So, but you can do both, especially if you're using that top dressing method that I was talking about, it'll be very effective. But whilst you're doing that fertilization for the spring, it is an excellent time to take the leftover fertilizer and fertilize all your shrubs at the same time. You know, you're doing all your fertilizer right then. You got to water everything in. Now's the time to combine all of that if you haven't done it. Fertilizing the shrubs is very important because you, and you do it the same way. You know, you don't dig holes. You just, I take that, I fertilize my shrubs with the Scotts little green hand spreader. And I just fertilize right over the top of them. Uh, You know, don't put piles of fertilizer near the trunk of your shrubs. You will kill your shrubs if you do that. And the other thing that I don't do, but a friend of mine, well, Stan, what he does is, and you have to be very careful when you're doing this, when the shrubs are starting to bud out at the same time, he sprays the shrubs with neutral copper also. And the shrubs look better. I don't do that because I'm afraid of staining the house. You got to be very, very careful when you do that. So I don't recommend it, but Stan does it. And Stan's done it for the last 40 years and he's successful at it. I'm not, uh, I had one technician who sprayed iron next to a house and I don't know what he was thinking. You know, I he just, he got iron all over the side of the house and I wound up painting the house and painting a house is not cheap and you know I didn't paint the house I hired a painter to paint the house I think we got when he did the fertilizer and put the iron down I think at the time we got paid $60 for that and I paid $700 to have the house painted so you know uh, I'm very careful about anything that I spray next to a house you have to be very very careful about that but stan puts the neutral copper on the shrubs all around the house and he's just very careful and he's never had a problem good for stan not for me because you know i'd botch it i just know it i just feel as though i would botch it so those are the things that we want to do in the spring also in the spring if you haven't fertilized the yard now's the time to fertilize the yard now is also the time if you haven't done it to put that pre-emergent uh, herbicide down. And I recommend that you buy a fertilizer that has that in it. So you're doing everything in one fell swoop. You're going to keep your crabgrass out. Uh, you're going to keep all of these you know, annual weeds out. It's going to be a good thing. And Scott's has some, uh, any fertilizer that is manufactured in your area, just look for a good crabgrass preventer or a good pre-emergent herbicide in the fertilizer and put that down now and follow the label instructions when you do it. And everything will be, you know, fine and dandy and wonderful, great and swell. That, you know, that should work fine. Now, uh, we're going to start talking here in just a second about something that is happening everywhere. Bugs. I'm telling you, this year, what a weird winter. We had like the coldest winter that we've had in forever. We've had tornadoes. We've had all these storms. We've had massive amounts of rain. The massive amounts of rain. And now we're getting bombarded with warm weather is causing insects in on your shrubs, in your lawn, inside your house. All of this just seems to be happening right now. And, and I'm getting emails from everyone that I, I'm having ants like crazy. How do I get rid of all of these things? Well, that's one of the things I want to talk to you a little bit about. Uh, how are we doing on time? Oh, we got a little bit of time. Now is the time to, first thing I want you to do is I want you to inspect your shrubs, inspect all of your planting material, start looking for evidence of insects. If you see anthills outside, you know, you're going to know you got anthills, but you know, insects on shrubbery, insects in the turf might be a little bit different, might be something else that you need to think about. It's going to take closer examination. Uh, I got an email from somebody who listens to the show in Alabama and he's, telling me that they're starting to see armyworms. Well, this is really early to see any armyworms. I mean, you know, I asked them to take a picture and send me a picture of it. But um, I'll tell you what is starting to come out. Uh, Grubs are starting to come out right now in, in grass. Chinch bugs are starting to come out in grass right now. And these are things that we really need to be aware of. So when we come back from this break that's coming up, I'm going to give you all kinds of hints on how to look for different insects and the first thing we have to do is find them and then the second thing we're going to do is we're going to kill them but we're going to do it in such a way that we're not killing insects that we don't want to kill so we'll talk all about that when we continue right here on home and garden radio Do you have German cockroaches in your house? Hey, this week's edition of Home and Garden Radio is brought to you by the good people at HelpIHaveBugs.com. That's HelpIHaveBugs.com. HelpIHaveBugs.com. And we continue right here on Home and Garden Radio. Now, insects—quite a problem, okay—and. In the old days, the way we used to kill insects is we bombarded everything with insecticide and we killed the insects. Well, we killed the bad insects and we killed the good insects. Let me tell you about the crepe myrtle at the other house. Now, it used to be my pride and joy was the crepe myrtle. And in the springtime, the crepe myrtle used to get aphids and I would go out there in the spring and I would spray for the aphids. You know, aphids only eat new growth on plants. It's all they attack. And I did that every year. But And I had a whole bunch of other shrubs out in the front yard. But then I read an article by an entomologist who I greatly admire. And he said, you know, don't do that anymore. And I said, what? My prize crepe myrtle? The the crepe myrtle that I love so much? What do you mean don't do that anymore? He said, oh, no. Just let nature take its course, because not only did I spray the crepe myrtle, but while I was there, I just sprayed all the shrubs. And guess what I did? I killed the aphids, but I also killed the beneficials. So you know what, what I learned how to do, and I said, okay, I'm going to try this this year, and I'm going to go nuts doing this. And I did. I just said, okay, I'm not going to spray. And I want you to know, the anxiety I had of not spraying the aphids that first year, was driving me nuts. My kids were questioning me, all right? I mean, it was just terrible. I would go out there and I would look and I would see aphids and I did not spray. And then I said, well, I could use something, you know, to where I just spray the aphids and I won't spray the rest. Nope, I didn't do it. I did not do it. And guess what happened? After about a month, I noticed that the aphids started disappearing. And why did the aphids start disappearing? Because some of the beneficial insects that I used to spray when I sprayed all the shrubs were now alive. And they went and they ate the aphids. We let nature take its course and everything was good. So from that time on, I stopped spraying the aphids on the great myrtle and everything was wonderful. Now, am I telling you not to spray your aphids? No, I'm not. But perhaps what I could have done and which I thought about doing, but I decided to follow this guy's advice is I could have just treated that tree or the crepe myrtle for aphids and left everything else alone. So the one thing that we want to do when we're trying to control insects out in the yard and out in the shrubs is we want to do something which I hate. It's called IPM, Integrated Pest Management. I don't think that makes any sense. But what we're going to do is we're just going to we're going to be sensible. We're going to do it, you know, in a sensible way, the way farmers used to do it before the Industrial Revolution. You inspect for the insects and then you kill the insects that you see. Now, this goes both for chemical pesticides as well as natural pesticides. As you may know, I was a big advocate of using diatomaceous earth. All natural, kills everything, marvelous. But using this all natural diatomaceous earth also killed all the beneficials. So we weren't targeting. So I would rather target Now, another solution for that crepe myrtle that had the aphids is I could have used a product to treat the aphids and just done that and left all the beneficials on the other plants to thrive. And, you know, that would have been just fine. So what we want to do is the first thing that we want to do is we want to inspect all of the plants. And once we inspect those plants and we find that there is a pest, wherever that is, Then we treat the area where the pests are with an appropriate pesticide. Now, what is an appropriate pesticide? A a pest, and as far as I'm concerned, an appropriate pesticide is one that has an EPA label. Now, it could be a chemical pesticide. And by the way, the chemical pesticides that are on the market today have all been approved by the EPA. They have that EPA label. And the, you know, the people who manufacture these insecticides have spent millions of dollars uh, to pay for research to make sure that that label is good. And I will tell you, as somebody who's been doing this for 42 years, that the pesticides that we have today are a zillion times less toxic than the pesticides that we had 15 years ago, 10 years ago. It just keeps getting better and better and better. Okay, there's a lot of people that might disagree with me on that. But you may want to use a chemical pesticide, or you might want to use a natural pesticide. One of my favorite pesticides to use right now is a totally natural product called Essentria. Hard to find. Look for it on eBay. Okay, people on eBay sell it. I love it. It's made of essential oils. It works, in my mind, just as well, if not better, than many of the chemicals. So I like it. And I don't have to worry about you know, my dead dog running out and uh, sniffing it, okay? Zach is looking at me. Zach has always accused me of killing our dog. Our dog went to live on a farm. He doesn't live here anymore. But Zach says, dad, killed the dog. I didn't kill the dog. I took the dog back to where we got the dog because the dog was eating the sofa and the carpeting. And they'd send it up to middle Florida where they have a big outside area where the dog could live the rest of his life. But anyway, getting back on to on thing, you don't have to worry about your dog or anything else out there using a I like the product. I don't sell the product. I like the product. I wish I'd invented the product. It's a great product. So I would probably use that, but on a directed situation to where I'm only treating the pest that I see. Now, when we get to lawns, how do we inspect for lawn insects? Well, ants are real simple. You look at ants and uh, you see the anthills. That's pretty easy. You treat the anthills is what you do. Okay, very simple thing. What do I like for anthills? I got to tell you, orthene ant killer. Good stuff. You just put a scoop of it on top of the anthill and they're gone. Good stuff. It's chemical. Okay, it's a matter of fact, it's an organophosphate chemical, but it does a good job. It's very thorough and I don't think it, you know, you're putting so little of it down that it's going to be very, very, very good for you. And, oh, we're running out of time. Grubs. Another situation, I take dishwashing detergent and I spray it, it or just just put a bunch of it down in the area where I think there may be grubs, and then I start adding water to the area with the hose. If there are grubs, they will start working their way up, and you will see them. Then you can treat that area with a good labeled insecticide uh, for that, and that will work. It's very, very effective, once again. So... That is my recommendation on insects. Hey, that is going to wrap things up for this edition of Home and Garden Radio. I want to thank you for joining us. The producer of the show on the other side of the double bulletproof class, my son, Zach. I'm Michael Kroos. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.